All right. By the way, my name is Brent. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. And uh, like I said, we're going to be looking at John 15, a really um, powerful passage. Uh, but before we get into it, let's, um, let, me, let, me, let me tell you a story. So <laughs> some time ago, I was in Kroger. And uh, when, when I go to Kroger, this is my time to listen to podcasts. And so uh, I'll get my iPhone, I'll put my earbuds in my ear and the, and the ears, and then I'll go into the grocery store and shop. So uh, this particular time, I, you know, I was here I was listening to the podcast, and I got, got all my vegetables and fruits out of the produce section, and then I rounded into the meat and uh, the poultry section, and I was kind of grabbing the, the uh, meat off the shelf. And, and right about that time, I got to a really interesting place in the podcast. And it's like I wasn't in the grocery store anymore. I was just totally distracted. And uh, after a while, I kind of snapped back into it, and I was back in the grocery store, and I, I kept on rolling the cart, you know, and as I was rounding into the dairy section, I looked down, and I saw two big bottles of Coke Zero in my basket. And I thought to myself, I don't, that's weird, I don't drink Coke Zero. And then suddenly I realized, this is not my cart. <laughs> I had stolen somebody else's groceries. Oh, no. And so then I look back, and I see this poor man way back in the fruit and vegetable section, scratching his head and looking around. And so I roll my cart back there, and I'm like, I am so, so sorry. I was just, I stole your groceries, and I was just so distracted. And he was very gracious, and he said, that's fine. And I put my earbuds back in my ears, and I was checking out in the, at the front uh, checkout counter, and the, the man at the Counter looked at me and he said, what are you listening to? And I said, oh, I'm listening to this great po podcast. It's how social media distracts us. <laughs> and he said, that is so ironic. And I said, yeah, it is. So we live in a culture of frenetic busyness and constant distraction. And it's not just the things that fill our lives. It is, it's our devices. It's, it's, the, it's the noise that is just continuous uh, going on in our ears. So we're living in what economists are calling the attention economy, where uh, literally thousands of apps and devices are keeping us busy 24-7. And our new normal uh, is what Microsoft researcher Linda Stone calls continual partial attention, which means that we are never really present anywhere. And maybe you feel this, you know, at, at the grocery store, at the dinner table, Maybe at work, you know, at the slightest hint of boredom, you're, you're, you know, swiping your iPhone and you're lost in this world of ideas and noise. And, and literally, you could almost connect anywhere. So, like, there used to be places in our culture where, you know, there was some white space, you know, where you can disconnect in airplanes, but now you can go online in airplanes now. Uh, I even heard of a, 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 a backpack that you, could, that you could go hiking with where you, there's a little space where you could connect to your iPhone. So the spaces are disappearing, and we could connect all the time. And we are always, always distracted. In fact, it's really hard to under, or it's really easy to underestimate the severity of this problem. There's a professor at NYU named Adam Alter, and he did some research on uh, how often we use our iPhones. And so he, he decided to test this on himself. There's an app that you can get called Moment. Anybody heard of this app? Where you could measure how often you look at your screen and for how long. And so he thought, you know, maybe I look at my screen about an hour a day. I probably swipe about 10 times. But when he, when he downloaded the app and he actually looked at the numbers, he saw that he was looking at his iPhone 40 times a day 
for a total of three hours. And so he contacted the develop, develop, developer of this app, and he said, you know, is this normal? And he said, actually, th- those numbers are low. For a lot of people, it's a lot worse. So we are continually connected, always distracted. There's this buzz going on in our ears constantly. And this is taking its toll. It's taking its toll. It's taking its toll on your work life, maybe. You know, there was one author who wrote a book called Deep Work, and he says, we are losing our ability to concentrate for long periods of time because we're always distracted, always looking at social media, Facebook, and things like this. We're losing our ability to do deep work. It's taking its toll on our emotions. And so uh, many of us are anxious and we're stressed, and our emotions are, are just going haywire because we are always connected. The noise never stops. This is also taking its toll on our relationships. So if you're somebody who is looking at your iPhone at home or at the dinner table, uh, this can begin to erode even your deepest ties in life. Most of all, this is taking its toll on our relationship to God. So we are are losing our core human ability to connect not only with others but also to God, which is really doing a number on us spiritually. Another author, his name is Andrew Sullivan, and maybe you read this little essay. This is uh, going around Facebook, but he had a little essay in the New York Times called I Used to Be a Human Being. And he noticed that he was almost addicted to social media and, and, you know, all of his devices. And so he checked himself into a meditation center for a digital detox. And so he tells the story of how he goes to the mountains, to this retreat center, and it's quiet. And you literally have to, you know, check your iPhone in at the door. And he says, for a week, you know, he said, I was, I was just walking around in the woods. It was quiet all the time. He said it was amazing. And so he begins to write, he, he writes this essay where he talks about the, the danger uh, that all of this busyness is posing in our lives. And at the very end of the essay, he says this. He says, this new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. Its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shape ship, shift under the pressure, The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget that we have any. And uh, Ronald uh, Rollheiser, who's a Christian author, he says, we are distracting ourselves into a spiritual oblivion. And so what might Jesus say to our distraction? You know, what words might Jesus speak into this issue of constant busyness? where we are never really present anywhere. Do you think Jesus might have some alternative practice, you know, something else that he might want us to focus on instead of our, our social media? Well, we're in a series in John uh, 15 through 17, and uh, John uh, is telling us about the upper room discourse. And this is a series of talks that Jesus gave his disciples just hours before he was crucified. And so he's uh, preparing them for life in the world without him and telling them, you know, this, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be going away, but this is how I want you to live without me. He says, I want, you know, it's going to be, it's going to get bad. It's going to get hard, but I want you to be people of peace and comfort and joy in the midst of this. And there's one command that Jesus gives over and over again in this talk. And uh, he doesn't really give many commands here. He's mostly just kind of telling us about a peace and a joy that we can have, but there, there's one command that repeats over and over again. 
In the ancient world, you know, before Gutenberg and before the printing press, if you wanted to emphasize something, you didn't have italics, you didn't have highlighter, and so if you wanted to drive a point home, what you would do is repeat it. And so Jesus repeats this command over and over again. Ten times Jesus commits, uh, repeats the command, and the command is, abide in me. He says over and over again, abide in me. And in the Greek, it's the word meno. Can we all say meno? Meno, right. And this is translated either to, to dwell, so I want you to dwell in me, he says, or remain. I want you to remain in me or stay connected. I want you to stay connected to me. In the Message Bible, which is kind of a modern translation, they translate the phrase live in me or make your home in me. And the New Brent translation is, this is how I translate it, God, Jesus says, I want you to be present with me. In other words, he's saying life is going to get complicated, and it's going to get difficult, and there's going to be all sorts of things vying for your attention. And you're going to be distracted, and, and you're going to be thinking about all sorts of things that you need to do. But there is one thing that you cannot forget to do. Amidst everything else, there is one thing that you need to remember to do, and that is stay connected to me. Don't be distracted from being present to me in your life. Abide in me, he says. It's the one thing that he wants us to do. Now, if I'm a disciple and I'm listening to this, I might be saying, Jesus, you want me to stay with you and remain with you? Listen, you're the one who's saying that you're going away. You keep on saying this, I'm going away, I'm, and where I go, you can't follow me. And, and Jesus, you're the one going away. How are we supposed to stay connected with you if you're gone? And the disciples, when Jesus was on the earth, I mean, they literally lived with him. They made their home with him. They abided with him every single hour of the day. They slept in the same house. They ate meals with him. They followed him wherever he went. When he was physically present, they were with him literally 24-7. And Jesus says, I'm going away. And they might be asking, you know, now that you're gone, how are we supposed to stay with you and live with you and abide with you now? It's a great question for us. I mean, Jesus isn't here anymore, right? We're, we're no longer living in first century Galilee. You know, Jesus is not physically in our presence. How do we remain with him? How do we stay connected to him when he's gone? When he's at the right hand of the Father in the New Testament language. Well, Jesus answers the question in John 14. Notice, uh, this is John 14, verse 16. He says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you for for forever. And so here Jesus says, yes, I am physically going away. But he says, I'm going to pray when I go away that God sends a helper for you. And the word helper there, it's kind of slippery to translate, but you could translate that another one of me. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another one of me. And who is this other one of Jesus? Well, he says later on that this is the Holy Spirit, which is going to not only be with you, but also in you. And so Jesus says, when I'm gone physically, by my Holy Spirit, I'm going to be present with you and in you all the time, forever. I'm going to be closer to you than your own skin. My personal presence is going to be with you all the time. I'm going to dwell with you. 
And so I want you to dwell with me. Stay connected to my Holy Spirit. Uh, John Mark, Mark Comer, who's an author, he says this, the first and primary goal is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit of God. And so what does it mean to abide? It means in this world of distraction, when all these things are vying for your attention, listen, you realize you have the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of Jesus dwelling, not only with you, but in you. And Jesus says, I want you to learn how to be continually connected to the Spirit that's in you. I want you to learn how to be constantly present to to me who is closer to you than your own skin. I want you to abide. And then Jesus in John 15 gives this this, uh, very famous metaphor. Uh, He says, just like the vine to the branch. He says, what does it mean to abide in the spirit that's within you? He says, it's like a branch abides in the vine or remains connected to the vine. I want you to be connected to me like that all the time. Never let yourself be distracted from that vital, central connection. Now, I know that we looked at these verses just a few weeks ago, but I want to really drill down on what it might mean to abide in Christ or abide in the Spirit like a branch abides in the vine. And I want to give us three little ideas here about what it might mean for us to abide in Jesus or to dwell with him or to uh, refuse to be uh, distracted distracted from being present with him. I think the first thing that it means is that uh, if we're gonna abide in him, we have to uh, remain in dependence upon him. So you think about a, a branch to a vine. The branch is, is dependent upon the vine for life, for fruit. And Jesus says this over and over again in the passage. He says, without me, you can do nothing. So just if you disconnect a branch from a vine, the branch is gonna die. You know, it can't do anything without the life of the vine. And he says, in in the same way, without me, you can do nothing. You you must remain absolutely dependent on me. Don't allow yourself to be distracted from reliance upon me. Daily draw life from me. Look to me all the time. And, And notice Jesus even says here, I want you to ask I want you to ask me for things, and whatever you ask, the Father will give you what you ask for. And this sort of a symbol of of being constantly depending upon the Spirit within you is is always ask things from Him. Uh, In my house, my kids are at the age where they are still very much dependent upon me, and they're always asking me for things. Daddy, could you get me that cup that's on a shelf that's too high for me? Daddy, could you help me go to the bathroom? I can't wait till they get out of that phase. Daddy, could you help me, uh, you know, go to sleep? I'm afraid, you know, it's dark. Can you stay in here until until I go to sleep? You know, so they're always asking, asking, asking for things. And this gets a little bit tiresome for me. It never gets tiresome for God. In fact, he says, I want you to constantly be asking. Constantly be looking to me. This is a sign that you're dependent upon me. So many of us, uh, you know, when we get into trouble, we just kind of delve into a book for help, or we, we delve into our experience for help, or we delve into some other area for help. What if our first response was to turn to God, to the Spirit, which is closer to you than your own skin, to ask for help? And so maybe you're a mom, and, and you're at home all day with the kids, and, uh, you know, 
these kids, I mean, sometimes you don't know what to do. You know, they're in a fight, and you don't know how to break this thing up because it's, you know, what, how do you, they're just so out of control. What do I do? What if you turned in that moment to God and said, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to know what to do in this moment. Or maybe at your job, you know, all of us at our jobs encounter things that are, uh, that are difficult for us and that problems that we can't solve. What if your first response was, God, I just don't know what to do right now. Help me, give me wisdom, give me insight, give me clarity to know how to handle this particular situation. Or what if in your marriage, you know, when you're experiencing, you know, a, a rupture in the relationship, you know, and you don't really know how to solve that, what if you turn to God and said, Lord, give me wisdom, give me sensitivity, help me to see things that I cannot see on my own. Jesus here is talking about constant dependence, dependence upon God through the Spirit, via the Spirit, always looking to him always living in desperation before him. You know, many of us are repelled by desperation. You know, if you want to date, don't look desperate. We don't like desperation. God is attracted by desperation. He loves it when you go to him for help. When you come just saying, I don't know what to do. This is what it means to abide in him. You're constantly looking to him for for wisdom and for strength and for clarity and for insight. I was listening to a podcast um, last week and it was this uh, pastor and he was talking about how he had gotten this job and it was way beyond him. He had, his experience level just was not, didn't really prepare him for the job that he was, that he was in. Big church, uh, very complicated, and uh, the guy asking him questions said, well, what did you do in this situation? He said, he said, I didn't know what to do. And he said, I prayed more than I ever have before. And he says, it's interesting, I found that the more intimate I was with God, the less intimidated I was by others. And I went back and I wrote that little phrase down. The more intimate I was with God, the less intimidated I, I was by other people because I was constantly drawing on on God for help and for wisdom and for insight. I needed him so bad. And so to abide in the vine means that we are are constantly dependent upon the Father through the Spirit of God which is in us, always asking for help. Here's another thing it means. It means to be in constant communion with God through the Spirit. It means that you unplug and you stop and you slow down long enough to connect with Jesus on a relational level. You know, abiding in the vine, there's not a closer relationship to the vine than the branch has. The branch is literally grafted into the vine, connected organically to the vine. And Jesus says, this is how I want you to be with the Spirit, organically, vitally, relationally, connected with him continually. The Spirit of God is not some force like in Star Wars, an impersonal power. No, the Spirit of God is a he. The Spirit of God is the person of Jesus living in you, with you and in you. And so to abide in him means that you are relationally connected to him. In constant communication with him. Now, there, you, you, can, you, know, you can do this in the morning when you sit down with God and you just spend time with him through reading your Bible and praying. Or you could just do this throughout the day. 
You know, just a constant dialogue with, with the Spirit of God within you. Uh, John Ortberg, uh, he, he talks about doing this. He says, man, I just tried to live in constant communication with the Spirit. I was just trying to abide in Him. And he says, I was asking myself this question. How many moments of my life today can I fill with conscious awareness of and surrender to God's presence? How many moments of my life today can I fill with conscious awareness of and surrender to God's presence? That means moment by moment, when you're at work, when you're driving in the car, when you're at home, maybe even with the kids, you're just in a constant state of awareness of God's presence. There's a 15th century monk, his name is Brother Lawrence, his, his actual birth name is Nicholas Herman, and he wrote this famous book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And uh, this book, um, there's research on this, that some believe this book was actually the most widely read book outside of the Bible for Christians. It's just a very famous, anybody read this book, Practice of the Presence of God? Uh, Brother Lawrence was a, he was a monk, like I said, but he wasn't an, an, an actual priest. He lived in a monastery, but he did sort of the menial work that needed to be done. He was a dishwasher, and then later on, he polished shoes. And the thing about this guy is he just thought, you know, I'm just... I'm just going to live in God's presence. So while he was doing the dishes, he just tried to remain in fellowship with God. While he was polishing the shoes, he would just try to remain in constant awareness of God's presence. And this is what he says in his book. He says, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess in God, or I possess God in as great Tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. He was a Catholic. And so he said, just in all of my days, I try to keep God ever before my mind. You know, keeping God foremost in your thoughts. Uh, The poet Mary Oliver, she said this. She said, attention is the beginning of devotion. So what if you were giving your attention? More and more, your thoughts were being drawn to God throughout the day. What does God think about this situation that I'm I'm in? What does God think about me as I'm in the situation that I'm in right now? What can I talk to God about? How can I commune with the Lord just in my daily? I was trying to do this this last week, and you know, uh, usually from to and from work, it's not that long for me, but I'll usually have a podcast on or music on or something going. I try to just shut down my phone and just be in the quiet, just the, the drive from work all the way home. And I, you know, you got to be careful with this because uh, one day I, I ran a stop sign. I was just so, you know, kind of not really paying attention to the road. And then I was followed by a policeman who then stopped me. And it was a guy who actually goes to this church, which is a whole other story, but he was very gracious to me. But what if you were just constantly just paying attention to Jesus Christ in your thoughts? You know, directing and redirecting your thoughts to him throughout the day. Practicing the presence of God. So this is, it's dependence, but it's also communion. It's just spending time with the Lord and and allowing him to fill your thoughts and his presence to be with you. Here's another thing you can do. You You can really abide in his nourishment. So think about the branch and the vine. The, the, the branch is always being nourished by the vine. The life of the vine is, is nourishing the branch, which produces the fruit. And so the branch is, is being nourished 24-7 by, 
by the, the sap and the life of the vine. And, and this is a metaphor for God wants us to be nourished by him all the time. Now, how do you allow yourself to be nourished by God through the Spirit? Well, one of the things Jesus says here in verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice he says, one of the ways that you can receive nourishment is by allowing the words of Jesus to abide in you. So filling your thoughts and filling your, your heart with the words of Jesus Christ. Nourishing yourself on the things that Jesus said. A friend of mine, he talks about abiding almost like it's breathing. And so he says, you, you breathe in the word of God, the promises of God. God loves me. God is with me. God's in control of my life. You're breathing in truth. And then he says, you're exhaling, you're, you're breathing out lies. I can do this on my own. God doesn't love me. I am what I make of myself in the real world. Breathe out the lies, breathe in the truth. Allowing the word of God to nourish you constantly. Rankin Wilburn says that the word of God must be the loudest voice in your life. So allowing, allowing the word of Jesus Christ to become the dominant voice. You know, so many of us have voices that are maybe not literal voices in our head. Some of us do. But so many of us have voices that, that we've heard, that we constantly replay the tape. You know, maybe it's a negative thing that your, that your mother or your father said to you when you were growing up. Or maybe it's something that you get thrown at you throughout the day at work. You know, negative lies is what they are. And then what Jesus says here is instead of, you know, breathing in that, those lies, you need to breathe in God's word. Uh, Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, over the course of your life, people will say all kinds of things about you. Which one will penetrate you? Some people have been told all their lives that they are a failure, worthless, dirty. Which one will become your controlling reality? Which opinion about you will become your controlling reality? Nourish yourself with Jesus' opinion about you. Jesus Christ, do you remember at the very beginning of his ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River? And do you remember what happened when he got baptized? The, the heavens opened up and a voice came down from heaven. And what did the voice say? It said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this was the voice that reverberated in the ears of Jesus throughout his life. I am the beloved child of God. I'm the beloved son of God. And Jesus Christ was always getting away. You know, he would take a break in the busyness of his life. So he would, before he chose the disciples, he went away by himself. Before he walked on water, he was up on the mountain by himself. He would constantly be stopping and going apart to be with God. And I think one of the things he was doing was just allowing this voice to wash over him. You are my beloved son. You are my for you, maybe it's my beloved daughter. Allowing the word of Jesus Christ to become louder and stronger, the dominant voice in your life. Being nourished on truth. Allowing him to speak. You know, invite Jesus Christ into your life, not just as a silent partner. <laughs> Allow him to speak. Give his word authority to break into your own thoughts. So being nourished on his word, but also uh, nourished by his love. Notice at the end here in verse 9, it says, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. Allow his love to nourish you. You know, Jesus Christ, it says here in John 13 that he loved his own and he loved them to the end. Jesus Christ is a man of love. God himself is a God of love. And the more you allow yourself to dwell in him and to make your home in him, the more his love just flows into your life. Have you ever noticed how, you know, when a child dwells in the love of his or her parents, it almost energizes the child. It, it, it fills the child with a healthy self-image. And the more you dwell in the love of your father, the more you dwell in his opinion of you, the stronger you become. Love brings strength. And Jesus says, abide in my love. And so here Jesus is saying, you know, into our, our world of busyness and constant distraction. He's saying, listen, you're not going to get more life by watching another Netflix episode. You know, it's not going to fill you with joy to swipe more, one more time on your iPhone. Maybe Netflix will give you a little bit of joy, Tammy. <laughs> but he says, if you really want life, if you really want strength, if you want to become healthy emotionally and spiritually, he says, you need to learn how to do this one thing. The one command he repeats over and over again, dwell with me. Remain with me. Don't be distracted from being present with me. Don't let anything in this life take you away from making your home in my love. So you might be saying, well, how do I do this, Brent? I, you know, I can, I can relate to you and your distraction in the grocery store. I struggle to slow down, I struggle to be quiet, I struggle to focus on my interior life long enough to pray or read scripture. Like, how do I do this? Let me give you some, some thoughts here at the end, quickly. I think you gotta be intentional about this. Uh, none of us drifts into abiding. You drift into Netflix. You drift into your iPhone, but you don't drift into abiding. If you want to abide in Jesus, you need to be intentional about this. And like I shared with you, I mean, you gotta, do, you gotta just carve out space in your life. You know, maybe in your morning commute, you just turn off the radio, you turn off the music, and you just spend that, that time in prayer. You carve out space. Some of you uh, pray three, three times throughout the day, I think it's called the daily hours, uh, where you just carve out an, uh, you know, space. Beginning of the day, middle of the day, and the end of the day. But you've got to be intentional about this. You know, in a marriage, you know, you're with each other all the time and you're spending time together, but you've got to be intentional about developing that relationship. You need date nights, you need to spend time together when the kids go to sleep, and your relationship with God is no different. Abiding in him takes intentional practice, practicing the presence of God. It takes intentionality. It also takes practice and learning. So expect to fail at this. <laughs> you know, this past week I was trying to do this and I, found I had probably had the worst week of spending time God, with God that I've, ever, that I've ever had. But if you fail, you just say, God, forgive me. And Jesus Christ is patient and loving. He will forgive you. And just redirect your focus again to him and try it again next week. 
His mercies are new every morning. And so get up tomorrow and try it again. It takes practice. It takes learning. You know, my, my sons are learning to play the piano, and they still sound pretty bad. But the more you do it, you're, you know, their, their fingers are getting used to the keys, and, and they, you'll, it'll start to become natural. And the more you practice the presence of God, it becomes more natural for you. And you get better at it. And I want you to know that it pays dividends. So, you know, just even in the illustration here, Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abiding in Jesus Christ, it pays dividends and it bears fruit in your life. It's the core of everything. It's the one thing you should do before you do anything else. You know, the story of the Bible, everything fell apart when human beings were disconnected from God. And your life begins to come together again when you reconnect with him. Via the Spirit, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, when you reconnect with your creator, it bears fruit and joy and peace and comfort. There's a place in the book of Acts, and I'll stop with this, where the disciples, they were out preaching and they were so bold and courageous. And, they, and yet they were so humble and loving to outsiders and people without power. And they were so wise in the way they handled the scripture and the way they handled situations that at one point their enemies, they looked at them and they said, how could these men be doing this? They are unlearned and uneducated. They haven't spent time with the rabbis. But then it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And it's ambiguous whether they were talking about literally just a few months earlier or whether it was moment by moment, day by day, via the Spirit, they were with Jesus. And it was just coming out of their lives, and it was bearing fruit. And so Jesus here says abide. He says disconnect, don't be distracted. We live in an age that's frenetically busy, constantly distracted. Our new normal is continuous, partial attention. And Jesus says give Me, your undivided attention. Devotion begins with attention. It begins by turning your thoughts and your hearts towards God and dwelling with him. He says, if you do that, you will bear much fruit. So let's let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage and this reminder of kind of where the Christian life begins. It begins by entering into relationship with God through Jesus Christ and then via the Holy Spirit, continuing to stay connected to God, to your love, to your peace, to your presence. God, we pray that you would show us um, how to do this in our own lives. It's not the same for everybody, but um, God, I pray that you'd help us to carve out space, to be intentional about developing that relationship with you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you so much that even though we sin, uh, even though we walk away from you, you are faithful to us. God, even though we get distracted, you never get distracted from us. Your eyes are always on us. Always arms open, ready to welcome us back. And so God, this morning we want to come to you and we want to give ourselves to you and we want to abide with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.